0: Once again, to the Perimeter Church podcast, just like there's more to being a Christian than repeating a prayer, there's more to being pro-life than being anti-abortion. Teaching team member Bob Cargo continues the series, Imago Dei, with this sermon entitled Image Bearing and the Unborn, which uses various texts. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Let me begin my message by giving you a quote. I won't tell you who said it, what they were talking about, but see what you think of these words. Very powerful, I think. Cultures can be judged in many ways, but eventually every nation and every age must be judged by this test. How did it treat people? Each generation, each wave of humanity evaluates its predecessors on this basis. The final measure of man's humanity is how humanely people treat one another. Now let me ask you, who do you think would say something like that and and what was he or she talking about? Well, I think you could have to admit that that could have been said by believers or unbelievers, religious people or irreligious people, uh, thinking about a lot of different topics. But 100% it is true, no matter who said it and what they were talking about. (laughs) So, who did say this, and, and what was the topic in mind? Well, this statement comes from a book that came out a long time ago, a fabulous book called, Whatever Happened to the Human Race?, The author was one of the most influential pastors and scholars and evangelists and missionaries to ever be part of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. His name, Dr. Francis Schaeffer. And Dr. Schaeffer had a lot to say about what we're talking about in this whole sermon series, the Imago Dei, the image of God. For example, he said, all men, all people bear the image of God. They have value, not because they're redeemed, but because they are God's creation in God's image. Also, he said, if mankind is not made in the image of God, nothing then stands in the way of inhumanity. There's no good reason why mankind should be perceived as special. Human life is cheapened. We can see this in so many of the major issues being debated in our society today. And what is one of the most important issues being debated in our society today? In fact, it's not being debated as much as it should be, it is the issue of abortion. The intentional taking of the life of an unborn child. And that's what Dr. Schaefer was talking about when he said that. What is the sad truth about abortion? On January 22, 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand, and since then in America, millions and millions. And millions and millions of children have been aborted. And as we're going to see in a moment, in our view here, we would view every one of those unborn children as a human being. How tragic, how horrific, how worthy of our lament. Let me say also from the outside that we believe, from the outset, that we believe every person is made in the image of God. Every person has value and worth, and therefore we want to care about every woman who finds herself with a problematic pregnancy, an unplanned pregnancy that for whatever reason, she sees this as causing a problem in her life. If that's where you are today, or if that's where you've ever been in your life before, then we want you to know that we love you, we care about you, we want to help you in any way we can, and we are not here to condemn you. We want you to know that we're a church made up of people who daily need a gracious Savior named Jesus. And therefore we believe not only in God's law which is good, even in those times that it doesn't feel so good, we believe in the gospel of grace. Grace for messed up broken people like us. So, if you're in that situation, if you ever have been, then please hear me out today. Be patient. And please try to ask God to be with you in a special way as I try to talk about God's good law and God's amazing grace. Oh Lord, we do ask you right now that you would be with us as we look at our hearts and at your word, at our country, and most of all, that we would see Jesus. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two questions we want to talk about in our message today. First is, why do we believe in our church anyway that abortion is morally wrong? And how should we address this issue in the way that we feel and think and act? First of all, why do we believe that abortion is morally wrong? Yes, it's debated, hugely debated in our culture. Why do we take this position? Well, there are three reasons for that. First, I would say is simply this, the Imago Dei plus scientific evidence. The Imago Dei plus scientific evidence. I hope you've been here in this whole series on the image of God, and if so, I hope you would agree that if you're looking for a worldview, if you're looking for an overarching belief system that has three things that is true of it. Number one, it affirms the value and dignity of every person. Number two, it explains why we are so often so cruel to one another. And number three, that there is a hope for redemption for people who have blown it. If you want a worldview like that, my friend, the worldview is the story of the gospel. As Jeff has defined it, creation in the image of God, fall, redemption through the work of Christ, restoration, he is making us new and all things new, and someday consummation, the process will be complete. But a huge part of that is this, every person has value and dignity and worth made in the image of God. So the question is, does science say that an unborn child is indeed a human being? You're going to see here on the screen a picture of a child at 20 weeks gestation. And let me just say the obvious. If this is not a human being, I don't know what it is. If this is not a baby, I don't know what it is. If this is not a child, I don't know what it is. This picture is very close to our heart because we have a grandson who was born at 27 weeks, two pounds, six ounces. He's doing fine now. We could go into all the scientific evidence if we had time. At what point does this unborn child feel pain and react against something that is a pain stimulus? At what point are the organs developed? At what point is the brain function? At what point is life outside the womb viable? All of those things. But in my opinion there's always been one statement that seems to say it all and that is abortion stops a beating heart. You know a liver doesn't have a beating heart, a kidney doesn't have a beating heart. It could only be a human being inside another human being that also has a beating heart. I can't come to any other conclusion except that an unborn child is a human being. So there is the theology of the image of God plus scientific evidence. The second reason we believe this is because of church history. The testimony of church history is pretty much uniform until somewhere in the middle of the 20th century uh, that the leadership of the church thought this to be true. I can't find that it was true in ancient Judaism that abortion was practiced nor infanticide. But in the Roman culture abortion was attempted very often often killing the mother or wounding the mother very deeply and injuring her but infanticide was commonly practiced within greek culture and roman culture it was thought to be no big deal if if a child was born and you didn't want that child for any reason whatsoever it was okay to leave that child out for the animals to find it or for it to die from exposure or neglect as different from that christian leaders stood against it And if you look at what's called the early church fathers or the leaders of the church through history, they spoke against infanticide and abortion very consistently, very consistently. So there's the Imago Dei plus science, there's the testimony of church history, and thirdly, most importantly for us, there's the testimony of the scriptures. Now the word abortion never appears in the Bible anywhere, and in fact you can't find a passage where the intent of the passage is to address the issue of abortion. But what is very clear in the scriptures is the value of every child, including the value of unborn children. Four passages to look at very briefly. First is this: the Mosaic law treats the unborn and treated the unborn child as a person. In Exodus 21, uh, there is the the, the uh, situation of two men who are fighting. The law says. And if they accidentally uh, hit a woman who's an expectant mother and her child, her unborn child, is killed or injured through that, then the repercussions to the guilty party are the very same as if that child had been born already. So the Mosaic law treated the unborn as if it were born. That's a powerful testimony. Secondly, we see in Psalm 139 what we read earlier today. Here's the testimony of David. For you, Lord, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, intricately involved. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. It's the work of God what goes on in the womb. In Mark 10, we see how Jesus valued children. And it's something that had been lost in Israel at that time. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have them touch him, have him touch them, to bless them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, why did he rebuke them? They thought, "Oh, Jesus is too busy for these children." But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, "No, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these." And he took the children into his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. One last passage in Jeremiah two thirty four. Jeremiah is preaching to Israel before the Babylonian captivity. And he says there, on your clothes, men find the lifeblood of the innocent poor, though you did not catch them breaking in, the shedding of innocent blood. Now in context, this is not about abortion. In context, this is about injustices in the criminal justice system of Israel. There were four reasons why Israel received the judgment of God and, taken, and were taken away into the Babylonian captivity. One of those four was the injustices being, being uh, put upon widows and orphans and the poor. And this passage is about how the poor were being wrongly accused, wrongly arrested, wrongly convicted for breaking and entering, and then improperly, too severely punished in, contra- in contradiction to the law of Moses. So that's what this is about. It's about the shedding of innocent blood. And God always stands against the shedding of innocent blood. So if that's what this passage is about in this context, why am I bringing it up today for this reason? If there's ever been an example of something that is absolutely, you can't even argue about it, the shedding of innocent blood, my friends, it is abortion. Abortion is the shedding of innocent blood. and It's something that we are to grieve. So this is why in our church, in our opinion, we believe that abortion is morally wrong. The Imago Dei plus science, the testimony of church history, and most centrally, the testimony of the scriptures. If that's true, then how should we address this issue of the shedding of innocent blood in the way our thoughts and our feelings and our words and our actions? Well, much like a sermon I preached on a different topic almost a year ago, we grieve and we repent and we take action. This is something to lament. This is something to grieve. This is an issue of justice and injustice, this taking away of unborn, innocent life. And we repent as a country, as a nation, we say, well, how did it come to this? That we would lament it. And as Americans, we would say, how did we let it get there? And then that we would let that be fueled into taking action to make things different. I want us to focus, especially today, on the taking of action How do we take action to address this issue? We first of all do it by proclaiming and sharing the gospel. By proclaiming and sharing the gospel. For 13 years, I pastored in town community church down there, Emory University. And during the 13 years there, I preached on this topic about four or five times, maybe six. And I know of at least three or four people who came to faith in Christ in part because of those sermons. Because you see, to come to Christ, we have to be confronted with the law of God. And then we have to be comforted with the gospel of grace. And it is this gospel of grace that we depend upon. So I want to say today, if there's any person here today, and so far this message has filled you with guilt, it's filled you with regret, is filled you with conviction of sin. If you're wrestling with it for anything in your personal background and history or simply your belief system, I want you to know this the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And you're in good company here with people who need the grace of God. We are broken, messy people. We need His redeeming grace every day. And I want you to know we have found the grace of God in the life, death, resurrection. And Lordship of Jesus and we want to commend Jesus to you that you would look to him for your forgiveness and for your healing we have found him to be a wonderful savior for broken people and we want to recommend him to you as well so we address this issue by believing the gospel and sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel and we also do this my friends we respond to this by living out the gospel By living out the gospel. And how do we live out the gospel? We live out the gospel by obeying God's law of caring for and loving other people. In this specific instance, loving the unborn. You see, there's always a connection when we believe the gospel. It's going to be shown by our obedience to his law. And being aligned with the gospel in our lives means we're responding to the law of God. There's an example in the book of Galatians where Paul tells about having to rebuke the apostle Peter. Can you imagine that? One apostle rebuking another apostle publicly. And he says, Peter, what you're doing is not right because you're not acting in alignment with the gospel. And it was basically an issue of how image bearers were being treated at that moment, redeemed image bearers. And so in the same way here, our lives are to be lived in alignment with the gospel, which is another way of saying we want to be obedient to God's word. And so uh, here's what we do. We we respond to this issue not only by uh, sharing and preaching the gospel. We also respond to it by attempting to influence public policy and public opinion. That's what we do as well. It's an issue in which it's good for us to do that. Now in a moment, I want to talk about how to go about doing that but first i want to ask the question is it even okay for us to do that is it okay for the church by whatever definition to seek to influence public policy and public opinion about a moral issue like this well there's an important distinction to be made as we respond to that question and that is this there's the church as the institution and there's the church as an organism the church as an institution is like Perimeter Church or First Baptist Church of Atlanta or the Presbyterian Church in America or the Southern Baptist Convention. That's the church as an institution. The church as an organism is all of you who are followers of Jesus. The church dispersed. And you as the church dispersed, we all as the church dispersed are also citizens. So we would say this, the church as an institution should not endorse candidates or speak into specific public policy issues. Specifically. But... The church as an organism is free to do all of those things and be active in all of those things and should be. On the other hand, the church as an institution, when it sees clear examples of systemic sin, can and should speak out against them. And my friends, abortion is a problem of systemic sin. And I say that not only because it has been legalized but because there are reinforcing relationships, reinforcing ways of doing things that promote abortion. And if abortion were to become illegal again next week, and somehow it continued anyway, that would be an example of systemic sin. When the church sees that, we indeed are called by God to speak out against it. So we speak up for the life of the unborn. Now let me ask you, when we do this, are we moving away from the gospel? Are we contradicting or leaving the gospel when we address this issue in the public square? The answer is no. And that's because believing the gospel will lead us to obey God's law. And defending life is required of us before the law of God. Now, where do we see that specifically? Uh, what law are we talking about? Well, it's the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Now, I want to show you sort of the connection between the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love charts. We're going to look at four of them in less than 30 seconds here, I think. First of all, we could say that the Christian life is doing this, believing God's gospel and obeying God's law by faith in the gospel. Another way to say that is living life by believing the gospel results in living in alignment with the gospel. And what does it mean to live in alignment with the gospel? Well, it means believing the gospel results in cooperating with God in my sanctification. And my sanctification is simply I'm becoming more conformed to the image of Christ as the image of Christ is expressed in God's law, cooperating with God in my sanctification by obeying him. And that leads to this. Believing God for my sanctification is, by faith, trying to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbors, myself. Now, it's right here in this part where being gospel-centered people means that we speak up to defend the unborn. That's what we're saying. So, what part of God's law is it? Well, it's obviously the sixth commandment. Now what all does the sixth commandment entail? We have some theological standard in our denomination. We think the Westminster Confession of Faith and the shorter and larger catechism help us to understand God's word a little more deeply. And so there are two questions in the Westminster larger catechism about the sixth commandment. It's a little bit long, but hang in here with me. It's hugely important for this whole Imago Day series and for today's sermon. What are the duties required in the sixth commandment? What does it require us to do? The duties required in the sixth commandment are all all manner of careful efforts and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of anyone's life. This includes the following, the just defense of lives against violence. There it is. Patiently bearing the hand of God with quietness of mind and cheerfulness of spirit. This, one's real, this next part's real personal. Sober use of food, drink, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreation. Charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, and kindness. Peaceable, mild, and courteous speech and behavior tells us how we interact with other people. Forbearance, ready to be reconciled, patient bearing, forgiving of injuries, and returning good for evil. And then you get this comforting and supporting the distressed. And protecting and defending the innocent. That's required of us because of the sixth commandment. Now the next question is what are the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment? The sins forbidden in the sixth commandment are these. All taking away of the life of others or of ourselves or others. Except in cases of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. Neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of the preservation of life. Sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire for revenge gets to the heart. All excessive passions and distracting cares. Immoderate use of food, drink, labor, and recreation. In this last one. Each one of these could be a whole sermon. Provoking words. Oppression. So this can be about groups and not just individuals quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatever else tends to the destruction of the life of anyone. Wow. Did you know that all that is entailed in that command, thou shalt not kill? And my friends, that is the basis for which God is calling us to defend the life of the unborn. Now, if that is the what and the why, let's talk about the how. How do we address this to try to seek to influence public policy and public opinion? Three things that fit very closely together. First of all, we do this with a a view toward the common good and with an attitude of civility. Anytime we we, uh, reach out into the culture to be salt and light and try to speak up for what is good and true and right, we should do that for the common good, just not for ourselves. And we should do that with an attitude of civility and respect. People may disagree with us, but if they disagree with us, we treat them in a civil manner, a respectful manner, even while we debate our point and depend our point with passion. And we do so alongside others who will stand up for what's right and true and good. Correct? If others will speak up, hoping to defend the life of the unborn we'll go shoulder to shoulder with them even if we disagree about other things. Why? They're defending innocent life. And so we, we join up with them even if we would disagree deeply about things. So we speak up for the common good and we speak up with civility. Secondly, we do try to address this in the realm of politics and the general population. And again, as I've said, the church as an institution has a limited role. The church as an organism has a very broad and deep role and the church is an organism. As we get involved in this, these issues of politics, we should we should choose candidates who are well-informed on this and other issues and candidates of good character and be supportive in that way. And so there's, there's a way to engage with the general population. What do people believe? And also to back the right legislation and the right candidates that would speak up for the protection of life. And then lastly is this, thirdly, that we try to be consistently pro-life. There's no doubt in my opinion as I've looked at this issue over decades, there are those those who do not listen to us because they do not think we are consistently pro-life, but we are so selectively pro-life. They have said, you need to care for people after birth as much as you care for people before birth. And there's a lot to be said for that. And so I think there's an inner ring and an outer ring of being consistently pro-life. Let me describe it this way. If you would envision both an inner ring and an outer ring around this issue of abortion. What is is entailed in this inner ring of being consistently pro-life? I think there are two issues that we have been trying to pay attention to for several decades. One is, I've alluded to it already, that we speak up to help women who have a problematic pregnancy. Maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's helping them to find a job. Maybe helping them to find a place to live. Maybe helping with education. Maybe helping them to get out of an abusive home life. But whatever it is, we need to be standing there to say to them, if we're wanting you to take that child to term and give that child birth, we will help you get there, whatever it takes. We will. And we'll help you afterwards also. That is one part of that inner ring of being consistently pro-life. The other part is to adopt. One of the great strengths of our church, I think, is we have a great ministry that promotes adoption, that we cooperate. Promise 686, beacon of Hope. I'm so glad we started with the video testimony that we had today. And if there's any one application I would hope you might walk away with today, it would be this, that if you're a young couple or even a not-so-young couple, consider adopting. Please consider adopting. It is so very important. That is the inner ring of being more consistently pro-life. But I also think there's an outer ring of being more consistently pro-life. And as I point this out, I wanna tell you, this outer ring is simply an attempt to be thoroughly scriptural in what we care about. Thoroughly scriptural in what we care about. In January of 2019, I heard Dr. Tim Keller, the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, talk about why Christianity changed the Western world in the first three centuries after Christ was born. And he said there were five things that Christians stood for, five things that were countercultural, and all of them demonstrated the love of Christ. And here they are. The first is care for the poor. It was not a popular thing to care for the poor, but Christians did. Uh, Poor for whatever reason, but especially if they had been made poor by illnesses and the plagues that came through in those centuries. At the risk of their own lives, they would care for these sick people who had been impoverished by their sickness. Secondly, there was the issue of sanctity of sex and marriage. The Greek and the Roman view of sex was that it was an issue of power. In the Judeo-Christian viewpoint, this is an issue of love. And sex is holy and it's sacred and it's reserved for a man and a woman only within the bounds of marriage and they stood for that. Thirdly, it's what we've come to call redemptive unity. The Roman Empire was very diverse ethnically but people tended to hate one another and avoid one another and and persecute one another and oppress one another or stay away from one another and in contrast to that, Christians were forming churches that were multi-ethnic where people of every race loved each other and treated each other as equals. How countercultural. Fourthly, was the issue that we're talking about today care for unwanted newborns. When Greek and Roman people put their children out to die, to be found by the wolves, to be exposed and to pass away, Christians night after night would go out in the night and listen for the cries of those babies, and they would scoop them up. And they would take them home and they would say, no, we will take your baby and we will love your baby and we will raise your baby. And everybody started to understand that's what Christians do. And the fifthly is this, Christians loved their enemies. It didn't matter whether it was Jewish leaders or Roman leaders who hated the Christians. Christians did not hate in return. They did not revile in return. But they loved their enemies and they forgave their enemies. Dr. Keller, as he explained this, I want you to uh, stop and understand this. All of these are scriptural issues. The reason we care about all five is that all five come out of the Bible. And I don't know that there are any of these that are less important in the scriptures than any other one. They're all that clear in the Bible. And Dr. Keller made the observation that the two you see on the left tend to be these days associated with the political left. And the two on you on the right tend to be associated with the political right and nobody seems to be for loving their enemies. Nobody. But all of these come from the scriptures. And all of these is what we will care about. And mark my word, people will hear us more about this if we're consistent with what the word of God tells us to do in our lives. There's no doubt in my mind. Let me end with this. A number of years ago, Planned Parenthood had a little phrase that was, every child a wanted child. And then when you stopped and you realized what they meant, it was horrific. What they meant was, if you don't want your child, feel free to abort your child. How horrific, how worthy of lamenting. Why don't we take that phrase and we turn it on its head We say, yeah, every child, a wanted child. Every child, a wanted child, meaning this, if you do not want your child or if you want your child but you cannot keep your child, we will want your child. We will adopt your child. We will take your child. We will raise your child as our own child. We will do it. Amen. Amen. May our theme be adoption, not abortion. And may our actions match our words. Here's the bottom line, people. We love because we have been loved by God. We love unwanted children. We love women who are in a problematic situation in their lives. We love every image bearer because every image bearer has value and dignity and worth as being made by God. We love because we have been loved. And may God be with us as we defend the lives of image bearers. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you came, you came to be one of us. Lord, you created us in your image and we blew it. We fell. The image was not totally eradicated, but Lord, it was so ruined. As Jeff has said, we are glorious ruins, but Lord, we thank you that to solve this problem of our ruinous state, that you, Lord Jesus, would become one of us. That you would live the life we couldn't live. That you would die the death we deserve to die. That you've been raised from the dead to give us hope and redemption. And Lord, because of that redemptive work of your spirit in our hearts, may we, Lord be people who promote life and eternal life for every person we meet. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Will you stand to your feet? Let's close with the song that we sang we taught you earlier. May his favor be upon you and a thousand. Your family, and your children, and their children, and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations. In your family, and your children, and their children.
2: speak just for a moment to those who may be here in the room and joining us online. Perhaps you've had an abortion and you have begun to believe that God is not for you and the church is not for you. He is and we are. We are for you and he is for you. There's a wonderful ministry that we operate out of this church called PACE. PACE. And Pace stands for post-abortion care and education. And what's really easy to begin to believe is that I've blown it beyond repair. That I'm damaged goods. That God can never love me. That there is no redemption. And that's a lie. And the truth is God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And that we want to be here for you. We want to come around you. And we want to help you experience the love of God